magicians, wizards, apparitions, adult language, and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not enter the house of mystery. All right, then. On with the show. All right, hello. Welcome, everyone, to the House of Mystery, a John Constantine and Friends podcast. If you're new to the show, you can find all of our shows, past, present, and in the future, wherever you listen to podcasts. But our preferred place for you to listen is Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Just search House of Mystery and be sure to leave us a review. Give us a five-star rating. I know I appreciate it. As well as the demon bisexual butler, David. He also appreciates it. Absolutely. I especially appreciate it when they decide to clean up after themselves, after their time in the House of Mystery. Do people not clean up after themselves usually? No, no. Like, people are savages, Mike. <laughs> what does the bathroom look like typically? Is there like shit on the wall? Like when you walk into a circle, K? Oh, you don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually we have to replace it and use a power washer in that room. That's a bunch of savages. <laughs> All right. So in this episode, we are officially kicking off our night terrors coverage with a discussion on night terrors. First blood number one. Yeah. It's a one shot that lays the foundation for DC's two month event. Essentially, Night Terrors is the next dawn of DC milestone event that takes place all of this month and all of August and will feature a host of two issue miniseries, each spotlighting a DC superhero or supervillain confronting their worst nightmares in a nightmare realm. Now, DC, David, during this event, will actually halt publishing nearly all of the regular titles to focus on this event. Yes. Now, we are John Constantine and Friends Podcast, so we will not be covering all of the issues, which would be impossible for us anyways, but... We'll be focusing on the core issues because it's dealing with the darker side of DC, which is our jam. That is what we do. And many of our favorites will be making appearances. In fact, going by what Williamson did in the first blood and in the first issue, first blood, it seems like dead man will be a major player throughout the run of night terror. Yes, he will. And I was, me and you have discussed about Night Terrors and basically the possibilities of the series. And in one month's time, that basically Night Terrors has been getting closer to release. And then it got released with a lot, a couple of the first issues and preludes. It has taken comic book readers by storm. Like I have gone to so many fan forums talking about Night Terrors and people basically saying, this is the story that basically DC looked at Marvel and slapped them in the face and basically said, this is our time. Now you take oh, the back at, seat. Look at them. And because a lot of fans are digging night terrors because everyone thought, Oh, it's going to be, I mean, me and you discussed about it in a couple of shows ago. Well, these events are, they're hit or miss. They're hit or miss. They're either pretty good or just awful. Yeah. And like, the the one thing about Night Terrors, it seemed like, wait a minute, this looks like more was supposed to be a Halloween special type of event for 
or DC. Yeah, I'm still a little at odds with that. Like, it seems like it would have made more sense if it came out, let's say, September, October. September, October. But then as people have been, like, reading it, especially after the first issue and then more issues have been coming out, this story has been, like, filled with so many possibilities. People are talking about, like, how DC is changing their landscape now, how they're maybe introducing older elements than uh, that we haven't seen since Vertigo and bringing it all together with not only Vertigo, but also tying in all their past events the past two years and saying, yeah, all the events that happened that we've been writing about, all that is canon. They Well, they better do something with all that Vertigo content. I mean, fuck. Motherfuckers canceled it, and then you have all this awesome, you know, stories, characters that have just been completely halted. You might as well start digging through that little treasure trove and using it, right? Oh, absolutely. To some degree, at least. And then that's why uh, I know me and you have discussed it about off-air, but just to reaffirm our th- our thoughts uh, that you, me and you prior talked about, not having John Constantine. In this series, yeah, is so irritating. It is a little strange. Now I'm sure because John Constantine is on a few, a few of the covers, the variant covers that were promoted, but it does seem strange yet again. David, I wasn't going to get into this quite yet because I was trying to be a little more positive. But of course, you love when I'm negative, and you bring up such. But we're going to build you up. polarizing things. We're going to build you up. <laughs> Is that what we're going to do? Yes, we're going to build you up. We're going to build you up. How do you have a series like this that delves deep into the genre of horror? Dealing with this weird connection between nightmares and magic, I believe is what they said. Yes. And John Constantine doesn't have a title. I don't understand this, Dave. (laughs) None of it makes sense anymore. Yeah. You know, what is up is, is down and down is up. Especially, you know, what's <sighs> real, David, here's the thing. You know, I don't be don't a wanna, DC apologist. I don't want to be an apologist. Cause but, I will line you up and, and shoot you down like the rest of the Nazis, but, or but with the rest of the Nazis, not like the Nazis. There's there, there, there might be a method to the madness of the characters they chose. Because, like, the main characters, like, you have the entire DC universe being affected by night terrors, by this new, uh, brand new villain that they introduced. Yeah, don't get into spoilers yeah, yet. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But the main characters, tying them in, it kind of ma- it's, it's making more sense to me the lineup that they chose. They chose a character like Dead Man to be front and center. Well, I'm happy about that. And that's the reason why I'm not angry about the John Constantine aspect because I love dead man as well. And the fact that they're using him essentially as uh, I I guess you can say a narrative anchor or he's the narrative anchor. Yeah. And especially when you get further along in the series, you begin to realize dead man plays an incredible role because like he is one of the characters that would not be susceptible to what's going on in DC universe. So Okay, I see the logic there. Zatanna, she would also have an advantage in this story because... Because she's hot. Well, yeah. <laughs> but she would, she would be 
able because she she would be prepared after what she's been through with the upside down man. Right. And and let's 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 not get into that lots of stories too much because I don't want to confuse people because there there's a lot even though the writers for night terrors they are in fact relying on a lot of recent things which is good that's a good thing for readers that of DC comics but if you're just getting in you can also view this as a bit of a entry level as well because they do a pretty damn good job of explaining things so that new readers can just jump in yes. and follow along. Now, David, before we get too deep into the discussion, I want to share with everyone what issues we're actually going to cover on this show. Because as I said, we can't cover all 50 some issues, however many there are out there because it's not possible. So we've handpicked issues that we feel are relevant to our show, the house of mystery. So We obviously are covering the very first issue here, Night Terror's First Blood number one, which is a one-shot. It gets the story going. Night Terror's one through four is what we'll be covering. Night Terror's Zatanna one and two, and then Night Terror's Night's End, which is the final installment. It's the epilogue. So we're going to cover the core issues, the Zatanna tie-in, and then the epilogue. Yeah. We might throw in... Night Terror's Wonder Woman. I'm not sure yet. It depends on whether or not Justice League Dark ends up playing a, a bigger part in the story. Because I only, I have not had a chance to peek through the pages yet of Wonder Woman, but just judging the covers, the covers show Constantine, Detective Chimp, and I believe some other member of JLD. I can't remember who. So obviously they have some role to play. Yeah. But if it's just a nightmare aspect and it really isn't any core development going on for the characters, then we'll pass on it. So we may add a few and we're going to try to keep on track with these. So for example, this week we're releasing first blood number one. And then next week we're going to try our damnedest to knock through the first two issues of night terrors. Yeah. And then the following week will be Zatanna and then by the time we release that, Night Terrors 3 and 4 will be close on our heels. Yes. Because they're not, they are not like holding back with this series. No, not at all. <laughs> all right. So to get things started, let's delve into First Blood number one's official press release. It reads, kicking off the line-wide event is the oversized special Night Terrors First Blood number one from Joshua Williamson. He's currently the writer of Superman and Howard Porter, the Flash. When Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman find the body of one of their earliest enemies inside the Hall of Justice, their investigation takes them past the land of the living, beyond the land of the dead, and directly to a new villain who uses his powers to engulf every single hero and villain in their own dark and twisted nightmares. The only way to save the world is to call for the help of an unlikely hero, dead man. That had me sold right there. Oh, yeah. And the beautiful thing by far is, like, they're calling on to heroes that normally we haven't seen in the past year. But it also goes into the aspect of, with this type of story, they need some special characters. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the issue was... um, 
issue one here was written by Joshua Williamson, and I haven't read a lot of his work. I know recently he was doing Justice League for a while. Yeah. Isn't he the one that did the big changes to Justice League? Yes. Yes. So, and I know for the most part, his run was being rated fairly high amongst fans as well as critics. Oh, yeah. I haven't read much by him. So this is the first thing I've actually sat down enthusiastically and that's written by him. And the art is Howard Porter. There were a slew of cover artists because as with a lot of these events, we were blessed with a ridiculous amount of variant covers. Yes. And if time permits, and I'll make sure to share the artist names if time permits. I will I will share the artist names for each of the covers because the variant covers are are mind blowing are once amazing. again. Amazing. Yeah. So Williamson did a overall, David, I would say did a great job with this first issue here. It's quite clever when it comes to strategy, how he wanted to get the story started, I guess. In a very quick fashion, the issue has intent and purpose, which is what I always look for, mm-hmm. especially in stories that are designed to get the story rolling, to really get the plot um, moving and progressed. And prog- I can't talk, David. I'm already messed <laughs> up here. Hold on. Let me start over. So Williamson did a great job with this issue. It's quite clever in his strategy to get the story going in a very quick fashion. Relatively speaking, uh, the issue has intent and purpose, which is two things I always look for when it comes to that first issue. It's very key for me. Uh, And he did a good job. I guess you could say kicking open the door for the rest of the event. And I will say kicking open the door because the way it ends, it's a great hook. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to pull people into the story and, and hopefully get them invested. So they want to follow along. Isn't that the goal for every writer with that first issue? If not every issue at towards the end, those last few pages, why do I want to read? Why do I want to continue? Well, you have to end your stories in a very specific way. Yes. Now I should warn the listeners that we are going to talk about spoilers. Yeah. And it's been warned. It's tough not to talk about the spoilers in, in, in first blood because they're so important to the story. And that hook that you talk about in the end is arguably one of the best, like first introductions to a brand new villain. That's what we get in the very end. Yes. Is one of the best I've seen in a long time of, of, introduction of a brand new villain the upside down man was pretty fucking cool though upside down man was cool but would if you, you call wanted... would you call him a mainstream villain though yeah because he he was he was um he was justice league dark he was justice league dark and justice league dark ended up becoming a backup story mm-hmm. i wouldn't call it a, a mainstream read even though it is part of the the main DC label, the main DC label. And also like, but as a mainstream event like this, I would say this is one of the best introductions to a new villain in years, in years, in years, because like essentially the introduction of the upside down, man, it was fantastic, but you never really got the idea that the upside down man could take out all of the DC universe, much like how this brand new character, does 
Like this brand new character was able to take down the Trinity. Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman. Who Well, Batman's human, so that's easy. I mean, he has yeah, no powers. Essentially. Oh, I just pissed off some Batman fans. Oh, that's fine. Piss them off all you like. <laughs> but like essentially he they introduced a character that legitimately took down the Justice League. And it puts us on that heels of so if he could take down the Trinity. What hope does Boston brand? Have? I like how Batman thought he could inject adrenaline into his heart. Yes. I'm going to stay awake. Nah, that, this ain't going to work, Bruce. Yeah. Sorry. Good night. <laughs> Let's get some context here. Let's talk about the foundation. Yes. Or the foundations of the story. Background general concept. It's key narrative anchor. Seems to be taken from the pages of Sandman. Yes. John D, a.k.a. Dr. Destiny, Destiny, plays a vital role within the initial pages. Yes. Through him, they introduce the idea of the Nightmare Stone, which is a bit of a MacGuffin for now. For now. But it works to pique interest, especially if you are aware of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman's Sandman cosmology I'm assuming based on how the story's set up, Williamson and the others are going to be deriving ideas from those particular storylines. I don't see how they can't when you're dealing with nightmares. Mm-hmm. We are dealing with things like nightmares. So it would be logical to surmise that the Corinthian will have some part to play. Maybe the Corinthian, I would more or less plan on Morpheus. Well, Corinthian is the nightmare man. He's the that nightmare too. guy. That too. So it would, even if he's not in it, you got to mention him. You if you're dealing it. with sleeping and I, again, by default, you're going to end up dealing with the dreaming. Now, that being said, this also could simply be a way to connect the familiar with the new with because the new. we are introduced to a new villain, one that seems to be seeking vengeance. We're not sure why as of yet. And their name is insomnia (laughs) of course it's an interesting name i mean it is it's also kind of a a no-brainer a nightmare and the character design on insomnia is just it it fits this series perfectly yeah i mean if you take a look at the character design of insomnia and the fact that his eyes are peeled back like he can't blink (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome it is so it is so cool and one of my favorite moments is dr destiny in his dream state looking at him and asking what why why are your eyes like that yeah the imagery is very powerful it if is. you are a big fan of horror i have a feeling that horror enthusiasts will enjoy the imagery oh yeah and that's the thing i also when when dr destiny first got introduced in in the beginning of the issue it got my it got my brain working automatically because like how did how did someone over over power essentially the power of the dream stone which is morpheus morpheus the reason why dr destiny is do we know the way he is we don't know that anyone overpowered it well remember insomnia was able to enter dr destiny's dream coma state which normally you, 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 he shouldn't. Yeah. Well, who knows? We'll find out. I'm sure. 
but he is searching for the nightmare stone. That's the key point here. And the question is to what end? To what end? As of the first issue, we're not certain, but the hook is that Dr. Destiny was aware of its dangerous potential. So even though we as an audience have never heard of the nightmare stone, retrospectively, they have written that Dr. Destiny did know about the nightmare, nightmare stone. stone. And in knowing of the stone, he also is aware of the danger that it presents. So he hid it somewhere in the nightmares of the heroes. Well, they say it's very cool. It's poetic. He hid the nightmare stone in the nightmares of his enemies. Yes. And those enemies are the heroes and their and villains. The villains. So like, we don't know where he exactly put it. Yeah, and I call this the hook because it's the platform for all the other side stories as well as the core issues. That is how you set up an event that makes you that makes the reader want to pick up the next issue. Oh yeah. Because when you say very ambiguous, he has hid the nightmare stone in A, B, C, D, E, and F. <laughs> we don't know which one. You're gonna want to seek out the story and find out which person has the nightmare stone locked away in their nightmares. There's a mystery angle yeah. to the story. And that's also intriguing. Now switching gears just a bit, Dave. Dead man is, is the reason why we're covering this really. Yes. Because he's part of the Constantine and friends idea of our show here. Dead man is essentially the thread that keeps the story tidy. He's the perspective we are witnessing the events of the story through him. He's the one that sensed something was off before the other heroes did. He even mentioned that he sensed someone like him, which seems to be a clue as to who this villain is and what he's all about. I can only assume, Dave, that he's a dead person. I'd be thinking. He ha I'd be thinking, fool. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be thinking. thinking. I'd be thinking. <laughs> when I when it comes to who done it, Mike, I get, I start becoming the 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 uh, Columbo <laughs> and start going. I'd be thinking. Yeah, so I'm. It's interesting, and the fact that he says that someone like him, you don't just write a throwaway line like that. It's got to be a character who's dead, possibly someone that shares a similar curse. Maybe this is why he seeks vengeance. Yeah. But regardless, I appreciate Williamson's attention to detail, to detail when it comes to dead man's characterization. This is something we talk about a lot. Don't write characters that you don't understand. Don't write for characters that you don't understand. We see this from time to time with John Constantine. And dead man is one of those characters. He is very, he's a nuanced character. You have to understand what makes him tick. There's a lot of philosophy involved in his genetic makeup as a character. And if you're not understanding those key attributes and how they pertain to dead man's overall outlook on life that then governs the very best stories that are written about this character, then you shouldn't. You shouldn't write the character. Yeah. And I feel like Williamson did have a general understanding. He quickly introduces this idea to new readers. He introduces dead man very effectively in a matter of two pages. Oh yeah. You get the gist of the character and the idea of his loneliness, which is a very key aspect to dead man. And in many of his stories, as well as a rather optimistic view of death, 
That's the thing. That's the difference in Dead Man. I mean, especially like in the last couple of stories that got released about him, there's more of a focus on understanding the character that he is not, he doesn't see his, his existence as tragic. There is some tragedy. There's some sadness and loneliness to him. However, there's because Boston brand is kind of like this cocky, you know, a slightly arrogant type character. There's almost kind of like an, a really arrogant optimism to him. There's a little bit of um, that. What's his name? Uh, the existentialist or absurdist philosopher, uh, Albert Camus, who wrote the myth of Sisyphus, the, the story of, of finding optimistic pleasure in the mundane. In the mundane, yeah. The idea of Sisyphus pushing that stone up the hill day in, day out. Well, rather than dreading it and looking at your life as cursed, pointless, you create joy in the very meaning of pushing that stone up the hill. That's the whole point of the philosophical writings of the myth of Sisyphus. You find the the pleasure and the purpose in the mundane and in a lot of ways that's dead man he mm-hmm. is sisyphus pushing that stone not really gaining a lot of ground but that's his daily chore and he will find the pleasure in that chore yeah and that was made clear in this issue and that's something that not a lot of writers of dead man usually incorporate Mm-mm. the idea of optimistic or an optimistic view of death you know, that death is something not to be grieved, but something to be viewed as beautiful. As beautiful. Particularly when it comes to the loved ones you leave behind and the tears they shed for their deceased loved ones. And that does build a bit on Dead Man's own self-loathing, yes. guilt, and shame for the life he lived prior to his death, which they also mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a smart way to quickly give the, the highlights. Oh, or yeah. share the highlights of dead man mm-hmm. because like, because that in itself is his start of his journey. His learning lesson is getting to where he is. That's why I really liked in two, two, pa- uh, two pages. Williamson was able to show that dead man started right here, but he's right now, right here. This is him in present day. And I haven't seen people touch the mythos of dead man, the characteristics of Boston, like Williamson has done. They usually use Boston as kind of like, he's that silent ghost that basically just floats into floats into the, I want, I don't want to say victims lives, but basically like the people he has to say he floats into their lives, saves the day. That's it. There's he, not he's real... usually a tool. Yeah, he's a tool. He's a writing device that the other characters in the show or in the stories can rely on. Whereas here, he's his own individual. And because of that, we're able to learn about him. And some of these things we already know as yeah. longtime Dead Man fans. However, again, looking at Night Terrors as a bit of an entry level type of story for potential exactly. new readers, it's a great way to reintroduce and even recontextualize the origins of Dead Man for modern readers. But the, these these key components that we're talking about, Dave, 
and we've talked about this on other past episodes, these key components is why I love this character and why he's one of the more underrated gems of D of the DC universe. Overall dead man's character presents readers with a philosophical framework that actually utilizes existential themes that provide a unique uh, thought provoking perspective, perspective on life identity and the mysteries of the afterlife. That's always been a very ambiguous aspect to dead man's story, but it's always present. And to some degree, they assert some of those notions or these notions within the subtext. Not, I'm not saying everything is, is explicit. It would be awful if it was explicit, Yeah, but it's, it's within the sub, the subtext. And that's why I get the general idea that Williamson has a, a decent handle on dead man. Oh, of yeah. course, I need to see more before I definitively say, Oh, Williams, Williamson has it down for dead man. But so far, you know, my, I'm, I'm leaning to the fact that he's got it down for dead man. Oh, even more so understanding the current history of the character. I mean, I like when we get to see Boston brands narration, when he gives his, Basically, his summary into the Trinity. You know, you see Superman save a day, and he basically says you can't help but smile and everything else. But my favorite part is the one with Diana because it showed more into Boston Brand's characteristic when Boston refers to Diana and says, oh, yeah, I, 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 we got to hung out for a little bit. She died. She got to hung out a little bit. Then she got better. And then, you know, she left me. Story of my life. Yeah. And it's like... That's Boston. It really underscores like the fact that he's a lonely individual. He's a lonely individual. And I like the fact that Williamson was taking stuff that he's also isolated. You got to remember, he's also isolated from human contact. Yeah. Unless he enters someone else's body. Yes. Which presents... All types of other issues. Other issues. <laughs> but like, that's the thing I really liked about what Williamson was doing was if you were a continuing DC fan, you know the story of Diana and Dead Man. They just recently did Infinite, uh, Infinite Frontier. They were the main characters. And it was basically Diana's journey back to the DC universe with Boston Brand as her, as her, uh, sidekick as it were or her aid finding her way back and if you know the story it that that shows that Williamson knows what the Boston brand character is right now currently and like if you read that story it is like he's even more lonely now because that whole story was like Boston seeing Diana she becomes kind of like his inspiration in Infinite Frontier and when she leaves, it's actually one of the saddest moments for Boston Brad because he's he's back by himself. <laughs> I mean, that's that's um, another guiding aspect to Dead Man's stories. You know, the passing of time, experiencing it without being a part of it, the loneliness of living on, which are lines. Hold, I'm quoting lines from. This issue. Yeah. Those lines say so much about a character. It goes to show you that you don't really need to do much to convey a tone. 
and an idea. And I like those those particular word choices, the passing of time, experiencing it, experiencing it without being a part of it, the loneliness of living on, because they're borrowing things from literature now. Kafka's Metamorphosis, which deals with isolation and the idea of experiencing time passing and life continuing around you. And then, of course, Phenomenology, which focuses on the experience of consciousness and the relationship between time and human experience. These are all things that are being utilized for, for years for Dead Man. And here we are again, bringing those aspects to the surface to create a, a pretty great snapshot of Dead Man. Isn't that how you kind of have to look at this issue as well? Yes. As is... It's it's a starting point mm-hmm. and a snapshot. It's a starting point and a snapshot. And also, just like what you alluded to earlier, DC's strategy of this was this is a jumping point for newer readers. So if we introduce characters like a dead man, we want to make sure that the new readers understand the the that character the characters, you know, motivations and characteristics. And Williamson has done something that basically I always harp about in other comics that you have to set your characters within a certain, a lot of time. If by the end of the issue, I do not understand the motivations of your character. That is not a good comic here. He was able to establish the motivation of dead man with four pages, four pages. And essentially he does it through the narration and Boston brand talking about his inner, I'm not saying inner demons, but inner thoughts about what he thinks of the superheroes because he himself is a superhero. No one sees it. And I hope that basically Williamson continues that trend and a trend that we're going to show that basically Boston brand is this unsung hero that I really hope it goes in that direction, Dave. Yeah, that I really no one, do. No one talks about because you especially get that when Boston Brand takes over. My favorite part is when he takes over Batman's body, <laughs> and Diana recognizes it's Boston, and like Boston's just trying to warn them about everything, and like Diana knows who Boston Brand is. Superman knows who Boston Brand is. At the end of the day. Batman knows who Boston Brand is. <laughs> and I like the fact that basically all the heroes are acknowledging Boston Brand after Boston has been talking about for the longest time, how lonely he feels. He's not really. And it's like seeing that recognition almost you, you get the sense that that adds to his motivation. Now he has to help these people because they're his friends. They remember him. Yeah. It's it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go. They take this, especially when you you take into account David how the issue ended. Yes, with insomnia tempting dead man with something that he wants the most. Which, judging by everything we just discussed, does this mean life? Does this mean a partner? Does this mean? He will be able to have human contact. All, is insomnia going to manipulate dead man with the things that really matter to him the most? You got to think because like, I like the fact that insomnia 
doesn't, it's not the physical attacks that he knows will hurt dead man. It's the mental attacks. It's a psychological attack. Psychological attacks. You're absolutely right. And that's the moment. That ending line is what sealed the deal for me. I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to read the rest of the issues because that's interesting. Yeah. To see wh- whatever Williamson decides to bring to the surface, whatever that actually is that dead man wants the most, it will fall in line with everything we have discussed yeah. in some way. And I think the thing I really like too, because one of my concerns going into night terrors was, Oh, this is going to be another Batman fest. Batman's going to save the day. David, a lot of people and a lot of people thought that. And then, but at the end of the issue, they, they help basically tell us, no, Batman's not in the equation. It's Boston brand. That's in Batman's body. And it's, it's almost kind of like Boston gets a chance to be alive for a little bit. And Bruce is nowhere in the equation because he's, he's tucked away in his own personal nightmare now. So we're not gonna, we're not gonna have, he's gonna be taking Batman's body out for a little spin. He's gonna be taking it for a little spin. He's gonna be like, where are you Catwoman?" And that's why I'm like going, I like I'm the Bruce fact, Wayne. I like that. Essentially there's telling us, this is a dead man story. I'd be going through all of Bruce Wayne's like X's on the Rolodex of Rolodex. Who uses that? <laughs> you, you think he'd go the, through the back computer and go, like, All right, uh, former love interest. Let's see. I'm going to visit Catwoman. Uh, Ra's al Ghul's daughter. Wasn't she, uh, isn't she Batman's uh, well, the, the sad, mother of his child? The sad part would be he'd f- finally realize that Batman's just as lonely as him because he'd see Catwoman and say, oh, yeah, they're not in good terms. Talia, no, not in good terms. Oh, listen, that makes for better sex sometimes. <laughs> it's that angry sex. <laughs> yeah, why not, Dave? I mean, shit. He should probably just close the deal on Harley as well. Harley's always been been vying for some Bruce Wayne action, but Bruce Wayne doesn't uh, doesn't go through with it. Doesn't Has he? With it. I don't nope. think he's gone through with it. No. Nope. And then once you once you reel in Harley, you might even. Get get poison ivy. You might even get a chance of poison ivy. <laughs> Be a Dude, real sex sandwich. Dead man's like going, I need to get make the most out of this while what I'm if, still what here. What if Josh Williamson is listening right now? Man, these guys are good. These are good. I should have done all of this. <laughs> Shame on me. <laughs> Josh Williamson knows dead man needs to get laid. He's probably more like saying like, these guys are fucking hacks. What a fucking loser. <laughs> and, see, a- and see, Mike, this is why Constantine's not here. <laughs> because we need dead man to actually get laid first. That's true. <laughs> All right. So David, the art, it was, uh, the icing. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, and forgive my ignorance. I'm not, I'm not a comic book guy per se. So I don't know what you call the actual art style, but it's the sketch look. I am all about that look. There's just a grit to it. There's a grittiness that, that just feels more visceral. And uh, as opposed to the, a lot of the modern art that feels like it's been done on a computer, even if this one was, at least it has that, that sketch look. It gives it a, a little bit of uh, authenticity. Well, the, it, the thing about it is like, especially with the type of story that they're telling, which is essentially it's supposed to be a horror uh, comic book. 
going to be a callback to like the, all the old, you know, visceral, gory, scarefest comics back from the seventies. And that's the, the, that's the thing I really took out of this was like, it gave me vibes that they went into this with uh, Joshua Williamson and Howard Porter with Porter as the, as the artist, he knew what he was trying, what genre he was working in. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of my favorite panels of his could be deemed as some of the most goriest, but if you look at it, there's almost like some weird artistic taste to it when they come across Dr. Destiny's body and it's impaled on the justice league table. Yeah. And you know, that would be an awesome gore image in itself, but there's a certain, a certain artistry to making that work. There's no blood elements on it by far. There's no, like the thing that amazes me when you take a look at Dr. Destiny impaled on the table, all you really see is basically the, the, black spikes sticking out of him and you see a purple energy just cracking him in half. Yeah. His body splits open. His, bo- his body splits and open. And his innards just explode out. But there's this not is a, a focus of red gore. You know what I mean? Like people would say that, oh, there has to be a blood shower everywhere. No. There's a weird sort of like weird like. Uh, Sometimes the horrific can be sold better when you are subtle when you're subtle yeah not being able to see the complete picture sometimes it has a better effect or like even when it's suggestive or even when one of my favorite panels is when boston brand is puked out by batman yeah that's a great page it is a fantastic page you know seeing batman yell get out and then all of a sudden like literally vomit the spiritual essence of boston out of him Normally you don't see that. That sounds very homoerotic. It kind of does, doesn't it? But like normally you would just see Boston just exit the body. Normal, normal as anything. But there's a, there's like a visceral, visceral feeling you get to this. It's like watching uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, there you go. And like the last comic that we've ever got this same thing was Swamp Thing. I'm looking for the right word for it. It feels present. That's the only word that comes to mind. It feels very physical. Yeah. I, I, I guess that's a word we can use. It's, it's really tough to actually talk, uh, like put it into tangible, words. Tangible. tangible, maybe. Yeah. The art's very good. And I don't think I've read anything that Howard Porter has done the art on. But I'll be looking for this guy's work because I'm, I'm sold. Oh yeah. Definitely sold. Especially if he sticks with this genre. Yeah. All right. So we will be back Dave with another discussion. Night terrors number one. And that will be one of four. And then also shortly after we will release our discussion on night terrors, Zatanna number one. So David, my score for this particular issue here is an 85%. It's a strong read. It's a strong start. It's not perfect. This isn't Vertigo. This isn't DC Black Label. Um, It's a mainstream piece, and it works very well as a mainstream piece. They do all the right things. Go ahead, Dave. I would have to... I'm going back and forth with the score that that I have originally in my notes. I'm thinking about it now. 
I'm going to go with my gut and basically say that this is an 88. You sound like you're about to choose your lover on The Bachelor. Well, <laughs> well, I'm going to go with my gut. Because, dude, the more I've read this issue, the more I'm, like, digging Night Terrors. Like, I especially without going into spoilers with anything else, because like a, like a typical comic book geek. No, you could do spoilers if you need to, as long as it's not, it's not spoilers for another issue. Yeah. With, uh, uh, that's the thing. I don't want to go into any other issues. Okay. Because. How dare you, Dave? I, I've been a, a typical comic book geek and I read ahead <laughs> and I'm really digging Williamson's work on it. And it's like so hilarious because I've read a couple of the issues and I'm like looking at it going, you know, what's missing out of this, Mike, Tom Taylor. <laughs> yeah. So Tom Taylor's not a part of this event. Yeah, Taylor's not a part of this. Is, and he, it may, is he a bit of an, a black sheep in DC? Like, is he, I have no idea. It seems like he's always doing his own thing. I have no idea because I've just, uh, I realized while going through my notes for this particular series, I made the, I made the comment in my notes. It's kind of strange that the two characters that Taylor's working on currently are not in night terrors and, uh, super, uh, John Kent, Superman is not in it. And Constantine. You just not working. What Constantine? Taylor Taylor's been very very proactive with wanting to be part of the John Constantine writing thing. <laughs> so so David, if we go to comic book roundup, critics are giving it a seven point seven. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think they're actually digging into really what's going on here. Yeah, because like I think initial 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 like viewings from critics. When it came to Night Terrors, everyone did not have high hopes for this. The average user rating is seven. Yeah. A lot of people at the very beginning did not have high hopes for this. But now that basically there have been a couple of issues. So Night Terrors think, 1 came out. Wait, hold on. So you're saying the first blood underwhelmed and then... But they kept reading and now they love it. That doesn't. I wouldn't would say they underwhelmed, but I think that comic book fans did what comic fans do and shit all over a series before they actually opened the book. I don't agree with 7.7. Maybe 80 because I maybe an 8.0 because I was going back and forth with my score. Should it be an 85? Should it be an 82? And because the art, I jumped it up. If I was basing it just on story, it would probably be an 80 or an 81, yeah. which would be equivalent to an 8.0 here on comic book roundup. But definitely the average user rating 7.1. Listen, as I said a few moments ago, David, it, it's not a DC dark label. No, this isn't size superiors Constantine. This isn't Ram V swamp thing. But this is a pretty good mainstream event. Event. Yeah. It's a fun event. And I'm not kidding. I, I'm basically, I wasn't kidding when I actually, early in the show, I said, I've seen fans now talking about Night Terrors as the series that basically DC looked at Marvel and said, this is how, this is how it's done. And they're proving to be the best event story of the year for right now. The only, the highest rated Night Terrors title so far. Is Superman. 
at an 8.8. That one, without going into spoilers, I did like that one. I did like it. Who wrote it? Do you know? Uh, not offhand. I think I can look that up real quick. It's Josh Williamson. But yeah, I, I did like his take on Superman's nightmares. Give me a second here. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to jump the gun here. And see what this. Okay. Zatanna's rated fairly high. Zatanna's is really cool. Good. Oh, you know what? Catwoman takes the takes the highest rating with an 8.9. So, all right. Well, you know what, David? This does bring us to the end of our show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Stay tuned for more discussions. Bankers, see you never.